You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Matt Brock here. You're listening to Inside Healthcare. Peggy O'Kane's made another stop to our podcast studios. Lots to share with you about quality in healthcare. She's with Frank Michike, our Vice President of Public Policy and External Affairs. Let's listen in. Peggy O'Kane, our intrepid president, is <laughs> just back from a trip on the Silk Road. Um, not the main topic of our discussion, but I can't start this discussion without uh, asking you to reflect just a little bit on that trip and uh, what you saw and how it might change your perspective now that you're back. Yeah, I mean, it was completely fascinating. Um, these are countries that you probably haven't even heard of, many of them. I mean, I went to Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and uh, Kazakhstan. These are former parts of the Soviet Union. They have their own long history. They were part of the Russian Empire before the Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, these countries were kind of left to their own devices to kind of put together their own currency. I mean, it's very, very stark. Um, it was, I mean, it was beautiful. We saw amazing historical sites. Um, but the thing that really came through to me was the resourcefulness and the resiliency of the people. So it was inspiring in a way that I never expected. Uh, it was really a great trip. And if you haven't been there, which most people haven't, I recommend it. <laughs> and uh, do they have fine silk on the Silk Road? I just they do. They, they have do. very Does beautiful textiles. Yeah. And I brought back a bunch of scarves and Wonderful. jackets and stuff. Yeah. Wonderful. We'll yeah. look for those at future appearances. Yes, yes. All right. Well, today's main topic, although I hope it will spin us into all sorts of um, unintended pathways, maybe, yeah. it, uh, is uh, the unintended consequences of healthcare policy making. And I raise this in the context of a recent announcement from the Trump administration of some rules that will um, uh, lessen or at least um, attempt to uh, untangle some of the restrictions that are in place as a result of the what's known as the Stark laws or the anti-kickback laws. And I won't pretend to understand all of those. Uh, I think you probably have a better sense of that. So let me let me start with this. Uh, in terms of unintended consequences, I think most people agree, and I think the regs that are coming out of the Trump administration are intended to address the fact that with all the best of intentions, these anti-kickback Stark laws have complicated the life of um, practices, hospitals, etc. And more pressingly in the current debate, they are hindering some of the value-based arrangements that folks are admirably, we think, moving toward um, in terms of new uh, systemness of the, of the healthcare delivery process. So let me start, though, with a little historical inquiry as to what was the world like pre-Stark? And so we understand what exactly they were attempting to get at with these and why they were, um, by all accounts, necessary when they were first implemented. They were necessary, but they weren't sufficient. And I think um, that's something we need to understand. I mean, I think when you think about examples, they are stark examples <laughs> of people building uh, imaging centers that they then referred their patients to for many unnecessary images. But um, I think that 
it's true that uh, some of the, the current interpretation of the law does interfere with the ability of organizations to develop a new value model. And so, uh, you know, not having looked in detail at the, uh, at the new changes, um, I think I agree that they were necessary, and I hope they'll get us closer. Um, I think as we look at this, we have to understand that we are living in a world where the delivery system is partly in an old model of fee-for-service and doing things uh, that, you know, however, whatever the motivation is, are good for the bottom line, but not good necessarily for the patient. Um, we need to get to a world where uh, when you do the right thing, you're more successful and um, the patient is better off and society's better off. Um, that's a tall order, and it's particularly a tall order in a world that's not into that, that value-based model 100%. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're in a very awkward stage, I would say, right now. Um, and if you think about it, the whole healthcare system has been trained and rewarded for being fragmented. For, for example, you know, you had an MRI yesterday, you come to see me today, I order another MRI um, just because it's more convenient or I, you know, I don't, quote, trust their MRI, you know. Um, but you also happen to get extra money when you do it that way. I mean, it's just, it's, un, it's, it's a very inefficient way of trying to deliver health care to a big population, so particularly I... given, you know, the, the dire financial straits that we're in as a country um, facing this aging population and all the people that need health care. So it's interesting, I think, and it's one of the paradoxes of, fixing healthcare uh, or addressing some of the uh, deficiencies in the system is you talk about the um, dangers of fragmentation. So then the obvious 180-degree uh, alternative is systemization, right. is, is uh, bringing folks together or organizations together in a way that covers holistically mm -hmm. whether it's what a patient needs or a community needs, et cetera. However, there are uh, perhaps just as many concerns and traps and and uh, perverse incentives Absolutely. on the systematic side Absolutely. so how do you how do you uh, entrust or create a framework in which you can entrust a system with all of those uh, those responsibilities in a way and and expect that they won't maximize their profit trust which but is verify yeah. trust but verify I mean you cannot assume the best you can assume that some will do the best you can assume that some will do the worst, and you can assume that the great middle will do a lot of sort of contradictory things. And so, when it, I mean, when you're trying to um, move a delivery system the size of the current one and the complex uh, and as complex as the current one is, you've just got to be incremental about it. I think. I mean, there are things like the Affordable Care Act, trying to get much broader coverage that feels foundational to me. I would be in, in favor of everybody being covered. Um, we're not there yet. Um, but then you have to just resign yourself to policy making being not grand gestures, but constantly trying new things, looking for the unexpected outcome, and, and tweaking and adjusting. And um, it's just that kind of a never-ending battle. Yeah. And I think 
When we talk about unintended consequences or intended consequences even, I think the ACA has a lot to offer on that front. And the whole notion of um, uh, letting a thousand flowers bloom, if you will, um, it appears to me to have worked. Uh, In the same way that, say, a private company that does R&D does not expect every uh, investment that they make in terms of research to have paid off. But it feels as though we're starting to see some of the uh, fundamental concepts that were embraced by some of the pilot uh, programs um, developed under the ACA. I'm thinking ACOs. uh, I'm thinking some of the other models. uh, As as beginning to – I don't think payoff's the right word because I think if you run – depending how you run the financials, you can say it has or has not – but it feels as though there are lessons and um, developments being curated as a result of these experiments. And we can talk about whether it's the juice was worth the squeeze. It was a heavy investment on the part of the federal government. But um, it feels as though for all of the madness, the system has extracted some of those lessons and has moved forward. Um, I Well, I feel like we're in the journey. We're, we can't say we're going to the destination yet, but, but there are some signs. And I do think that the conversation, at least among hospitals, for example, is that value-based arrangements are not going to be optional anymore and that um, you better prepare yourself for a future where you're going to be responsible for the costs and quality outcomes for populations. So... Whether that actually happens, I don't know. I think that's the current um, take. So that's promising. Um, you know, you, you and I were talking about the idea that people are outraged that somebody might be disqualified from insurance for having a pre-existing condition. Um, that is outrageous. When you think about what is the very nature of health insurance, why are you buying it? You're buying it in case you get sick. You're not buying it so that if you get sick, you get excluded. I mean, that is su- that's a, such a fundamental uh, construct, and people understand it now, I think, because we've all been living through this, this experiment. Yeah. Um, I think that you know, there are many other things that are less obvious to the public. For example, value-based payment. I mean, people are suspicious. So, um, you know, if I think I might need all these tests every year, like I I have a young acquaintance who's like in his 30s, and he says, I I really am very suspicious if they don't do all these tests every time I go for my annual physical. And I say to him, you don't need an annual physical, and I'm sure you don't need all these tests. Um, he's, He's thinking, I paid for it. He's not understanding. He didn't pay for the services. He paid for the insurance. So there are these things that are much less obvious, but that one about the pre-existing conditions um, has been a real education for the public. Yeah. As you mentioned, we, you and I were discussing this in the context of unintended consequences. And while the connotation of unintended consequences is a negative, mm-hmm. Uh, all the things that you didn't expect to go wrong that did go wrong, there are some positive unintended consequences, uh, you know, depending on where you're coming from, although I think this is probably universal. As you mentioned, uh, the idea that from now on, pre-existing conditions and the the uh, prohibition on um, uh, denying coverage based on pre-existing conditions is sacrosanct. It's, it's 
you 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 know, I think there was a time where you had to be a health policy wonk to even understand what pre-existing conditions right. were. It is now a very it, it you you can say it with no context at all mm-hmm. and everyone gets it mm-hmm. and everyone treats it as really almost a right. right. And and I think in a lot of ways that makes sense, but I would suggest that conversation ne- never happened right. prior to the ACA. Right. And then prior to the effort to repeal the ACA. Right. I think there was also probably a, a great deal more public support that developed or that was uncovered for Medicaid, mm-hmm. ho- however you define the population that should be eligible, as a result of the effort to repeal the ACA. Right. You had folks uh, in red states, Republican senators in particular, who said, over my dead body, right. are we going to turn back? And and again, if you want to talk about unintended consequences, the uh, tragedy of the opioid epidemic is probably what really got uh, some of those states and their senators to oppose it. I'm thinking Ohio and West Virginia, mm-hmm. where, uh, yes, these are um, red states, Trump country, but um, they understood that Medicaid was an essential mm-hmm. uh, element to fighting uh, that opioid epidemic. So, um, again, uh, depending on where you are in the spectrum, uh, yeah. that that's a positive or negative um, development. But it's certainly a unintended consequence, I think, of the effort to repeal the ACA. Right. I mean, I, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about cherry picking a little bit. You know, that is trying to keep your healthy patients and like your get rid of the ones that are expensive or hard to treat and so on. And I think, you know, Medicare has been very vigilant about MA Medicare Advantage plans uh, trying to do stuff like that. Um, As we move down and have risk arrangements in the delivery system, I think the ability to do that or the the idea of doing that is something we have to guard against um, because I mean, as opposed to a plan that's just looking at the dollars, um, you know, these patients can be quite difficult to take care of. They might be disruptive in your waiting room. Um, so I, I think we have to understand that value-based arrangements bring that as a danger. So there's, you know, there's no, there is no perfect construct for paying for care that just, uh, you know, sort of solves these problems of people doing things that are really not what the intention was. And again, it takes me back to that point that you have to be vigilant. You have to be trying to guard against it, prevent it, identify it when it happens, and punish the perpetrators. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. you know, it sounds awful. It sounds like the police, but it's the nature of the work, I think. And of the world, probably. Yes, yeah. It... Um, it does uh, make one humble about uh, anyone who's proposing a big solution, as though there is a uh, silver bullet for um, whatever it is, whether it's the cost of care, whether it's the potential abuses of um, either the by the patient or to the patient. Um, they're they're really we're dealing with humans. We're dealing with them in a very um, uh, sensitive situation right. usually when they're seeking medical care right uh, there is no simple solution no i mean if you're not humble if you're doing health policy and you're not humble <laughs> you haven't been paying attention yeah uh it, the but um you know uh, cnn does not reward the humble i guess right. i would say you right. know it right. uh 
I think the nature of, uh, particularly these days, the political discussion is that um, I'm right, you're wrong, and I have the 100% uh, solution, and you yeah. have no idea. Well, what the sooner you're we can about. get out of that kind of stupid debate, the better. Yeah, yeah, and um, it may be that some of these unintended consequences that we were talking about with the ACA and others uh, have um, humbled uh, some of the folks who maybe thought they had all the answers mm -hmm. on either side of the debate. Yeah. Really, um, I wonder the the other one that always comes to mind for me when we talk about unintended consequences, and which has been the subject of some discussion of of reform, is HIPAA. HIPAA, I think, always was um, uh, the the goal was one that um, everyone uh, was supportive of. You know, protecting that uh, confidential information, um, and I think. I think the world has changed around HIPAA as much as um, the uh, law itself has aged poorly mm -hmm. in the sense that I think the positive uh, development that um, some some health conditions that were stigmatized are now sort of people feel free to talk about them. I think in general um, our health information is less sensitive, although that may be <laughs> Maybe, but you know, I guess it depends where you sit. Well, I mean, if you're the one that has the yes, condition, yes, you may not see yes. it that way. So, um, and then I think the fact that, uh, as we've discussed before, especially younger generations, um, they they don't expect much privacy, and they don't expect the protection of their data much, if only because they've um, they've seen it uh, not be protected on so many different fronts. All that said, it's still very important, um, and. It is still, uh, in, for, say, one of the causes that we really care about, which is data uh, fluidity and transparency and the ability to move data so that care can be uh, improved, really, at the site of care, uh, ideally. Um, what would you do to HIPAA to get us closer to that? Is there, is there a solution? Maybe there's not. Uh, I don't—I mean, I think, uh, to me, I— whether young people care about the privacy of their information or not, um, I, from my position as an older person, um, I, I think they will come around and they will understand yeah. the importance of that. So we just have to keep, uh, I mean, there are misinterpretations of HIPAA that are rampant, you know, so, you know, I've heard stories of people going to visit their, you know, the caregiver going to visit the person in the hospital that got admitted in an emergent way. And, being told that they can't see them because they're, you know, they're because of HIPAA, which is ridiculous, yeah. and and it happens. There are also practitioners who think HIPAA was meant to keep their data private, which is not the intention. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know that there's a sweeping yeah. overhaul needed. It's kind of the the sort of in the regulatory process. I think you just have to keep watching and seeing what's happening, and you know dealing with it as yeah. it emerges as the, an issue. The reintroduction of common sense into right. some of these well, situations. I mean, that's the thing that has to happen in all yeah. of this, right? Yeah. And one of the things we talked about earlier was what's necessary to avoid or at least mitigate unintended consequences. So um, something like um, HIPAA or uh, ARA, the High Tech Act, where all that money went towards um, providing electronic records for uh, hospitals and docs. I think there is a sense, particularly, again, if you're just following the headlines, that something gets passed and a lot of money gets appropriated and it becomes, um, okay, go do that. 
obviously, if you're not attentive to the details, um, that's where some of these, and, and maybe even if you are, some of these unintended consequences creep up. So what, what do you think is necessary? What, what I would Well, uh, I mean, I think that it's, we all have 20-20 hindsight when it comes to especially electronic health records and how we wish they were better. Um, I think knowing that the people that kind of implemented this were acting with very good intentions and very high intelligence and great technical sophistication. In spite of that, we still have out there a data infrastructure for a care delivery that is dysfunctional. And so again, it's kind of like anybody that thought you were just going to pass this thing and it was going to be over is out of their mind. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you've just got to go in there and uh, ONC, the Office of the National Coordinator, has powers to certify electronic health records and other electronic sources that they could use if the politics were right. And um, the fact that we have, you know, such industry influence on what the regs are is problematic, I think. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that needs to happen in the data realm that it really would be unfortunate to have every provider have to kind of pay for a reengineering of what they bought. There are some things that could be done in a more sort of comprehensive way. Uh, there's the data blocking issue, which I think we've moved forward on a little bit. But, you know, we're still hearing a lot about EHR companies that are charging to give you your own data, which to me is completely unacceptable. We are not anywhere near where we need to be in terms of having data at your fingertips when you're delivering care in a kind of seamless way that then can be mined and used to improve care, that can be used to set up a system around the practitioners that kind of automatically is scanning for people that need follow-up, people that have some kind of aberrant situation that needs to uh, be dealt with. That's not happening in the way that it needs to. And, and so there's a lot to be done. Um, maybe some legislative change might be needed. I don't know. Um, but there's Again, it's, you know, you have such a complicated system that the idea that anything is going to be like a, a one-time solution yeah. is, is kind of naive. Yeah, yeah I think we, that brings us back to humility, right? Right. Uh, humility and perseverance. And uh, diligence. From, yeah. um, and, you know, yeah, just kind of like relentlessness, yeah. I think, is what it takes. Yeah. And ironically, I think, um, despite the um, feeling that nothing is getting done in Washington because of all of the things that um, we won't even uh, discuss here today. Mm -hmm. um, there are folks uh, behind the lines who are um, working on these things. I, I think of the 21st Century Cures Act, one that passed already, which sort of um, uh, came back and revisited some of these data issues. Mm -hmm. um, and also advance some issues around um, uh, promising uh, developments in, in uh, drugs and, and medicine in general. But there's now a round two of that bill uh, where bipartisan groups of staff and, and members are uh, getting together to continue to try and tweak. I, I think it's uh, uh, always good to remind ourselves that um, as bad as it seems and as uh, gridlocked as it seems, there are good people doing good work on these issues uh, behind the scenes. And, Absolutely. And it tends to come forward when they finally get uh, something they can agree on. Right. And maybe better that it be below the radar because um, that actually means it could, mm -hmm. it could happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll end on that happy note. Um, <laughs> 
I don't know, as we always do, I don't know if you've had any, uh, with all your travel, had the chance to read up on yes, anything Yes, I just lately. read a great book called Madame Forsade's Secret War. Um, Madame Forsade was a French woman who was a leader of the resistance against the Nazis in World War II. And, you know, it's just so incredibly inspiring. She was very young when she got recruited into this network of resistance fighters. And she became one of the leaders of the of the whole thing. And um, it, the stories are hair-raising. People obviously are caught. People are double agents. I mean, it, it should be a movie. I yeah. think it's really great. And uh, my admiration for the courage of a woman like that, who yeah. was in her early 20s when she first started, um, and really did a lot for her country, that, that really... Um, impressed me. Yeah, there's a lot of unsung heroes out there that yeah. uh, we may yeah. or may not have known about. So right. um, always good to remind ourselves of, mm -hmm. uh, of that. Well, thank you very much, Peggy. Uh, another episode in the books. And uh, listeners, we hope to have you back soon. Thank Take care. You. Thank you. Peggy O'Kane, along with Frank Michike. Thank you, guys. Hey, just a reminder to you, you want to go online and look at www.qualitytalks.org and see the great lineup of speakers we have for Quality Talks 2020 coming up this spring. Sign up, register, because it's going to be a good time, and it'll be more content like you get right here on Inside Healthcare. That does it for us for this episode. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt. 